Whether I'm turkey hunting, scouting, or glassing for game, I never go into the woods without my Vortex Optics. With their VIP warranty, I can go with confidence because it'll replace any glass damaged in the woods. I dropped my binoculars out of the deer stand last fall, and Vortex got me fixed up and back in the tree in no time. Vortex makes the highest quality and affordable rangefinders, binoculars, and scopes on the market. Y'all check them out at vortexoptics.com. Support for this episode comes from Missouri-based Kuat Racks. For trailblazing rides or Class 4 river drops, Kuat makes racks that help get your gear where you want to be. Their new Class 4 kayak rack locks, folds, and stacks up easily for hauling and stowing your gear. Not to mention, you'll want to keep a Class 4 on the roof at all times because it actually looks good up there. Kuat, because you love your bike and your kayak. Get your next adventure on your vehicle at Kuat, that's K-U-A-T dot com. How many bears have you done this traveling? Or is this like... <laughs> 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 She's wondering if it's going to work. <laughs> it, it, it will work. It will work beautifully. Um, this combination is approved by the FDA for multiple other species. Yeah. It's been used. We used it this uh, past spring and summer mm-hmm. in awake bears. This will be the first time in the history of the universe that it's been used in dead bears. So my heart rate is up a little. (laughs) You're listening to the Ozark Podcast. We sit down with men and women from the Ozarks that have a passion for the outdoors. Our aim is to listen, learn, and pass along their knowledge and experiences to help you become a better outdoorsman. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to the Ozark Podcast. You've got Kyle Veet on the mic as always. And as always, I am joined by Mr. Kyle Plunkett. How are you? Doing great. We have a special episode for you guys that was actually recorded on site in the woods. Yes. Next to a bear den. Ooh. So if the audio sounds a little weird or maybe a little awesome, this is why. Yeah. And uh, I don't want to sound like we're bragging because we're really not. No. But, but Kyle, we, we got the invite from Arkansas Game and Fish to go do something pretty cool. Yeah. What, did, uh, what do we get to do? So Myron, if you guys have been listening, we interviewed Myron Means, who is the the large carnivore biologist because that captures some other things. But um, Like mountain lions? Like mountain lions. Um, he invited us out to go on one of these bear den visits. I learned so much. Even after talking to Myron about the episode, and there was still so much that I learned through just being on the trip and being on the visit that I thought was really unique. And, you know, it's not every day you get to go see bear cubs. Yeah, I felt like a kid in a candy store on this trip. So we're hoping, by the way, that everything was recorded and, and what we got to experience, we get to deliver just a little piece of that to you guys. Yeah. We're going to be listening to this podcast. So. Yeah. So here's Myron. Hope you all enjoy. I'm Myron Means. I'm the large carnivore program coordinator with Arkansas Game and Fish. Uh, I've been program coordinator for about 16 years with Game and Fish, but I've actually had the pleasure of working with bears in Arkansas for about 27 years. And uh, it's been uh, it's been a very rewarding career, I must say. Uh, part of what we're gonna do today, so I have, there's a team of biologists from other states and everything else, and I'll explain further what they're gonna do. Uh, this is Clay Hilton. Is a wildlife vet, wildlife biologist from the Caesar Clayburg Wildlife Research Institute in Kingsville, Texas. 
He brought along uh, another vet, Carrie <laughs> <laughs> Ulmer. She is the vet director for the Texas State Aquarium. Where's our, where's our vet? <laughs> our agency wildlife vet, Dr. Jen Ballard. She's back here. <laughs> our wildlife health biologist, AJ Riggs, slash bear program assistant, slash tunnel rat extraordinaire. <laughs> <laughs> Every effective bear program has to have a good tunnel wrap, in AJ's mind. <laughs> now, for those that have never heard the term tunnel rat, it is exactly what it sounds like. The tunnel rat holds the all-important job of actually climbing into the bear den to do the work they need to do. I wonder if AJ Riggs knew that spelunking with bears was part of the job description when she applied to be the state wildlife biologist. Uh, there's going to be... We have a lot of objectives that we're gonna to try to uh, reach today. One of them is gonna to have to do with monitoring a certain drug trial that we're gonna be doing on this. We're, we're trialing a different drug cocktail that we use, and I'll explain a little bit about that later. Uh, the main objective of today is to gather reproductive data on this particular sow. And, and then, uh, of course, the third objective of the day is to basically educate y'all on the bear program, uh, bear management with AGFC, and uh, let you kind of see and hold what the fruits of really good sound conservation can produce. And I really can't think of a better way to showcase what good management is all about than to be able to hold a little five or six pound baby bear cub. So those are the objectives today. Uh, as I said, the primary objective today is to determine reproductive status of this female. And the way it works in Game and Fish is we have, a, uh, we have about 60 collared adult female bears scattered all across the state. Uh, we have about 20 or so in the Ozarks, scattered all the way across the Ozarks in bear range. We have 20 or so in the Washita scattered across Bear Range, and we have 15 uh, in the lower uh, Gulf Coastal Plain of the state. And uh, all those bears is a subsample of the what's going on reproductive-wise for those populations in a given year. Now, a lot of people don't realize that bears uh, actually have a two-year reproductive process it's not one, it's not every year like deer and turkey and other game animals. In the normal course of things, it's every other year. And in the, across Arkansas and the Ozarks and Washita's, the normal reproductive rate for an adult female is roughly two cubs per litter every other year of that female's life. And so in the world of game management, you know, bears are considered to have really low reproductive rates. And it is because of that two-year reproductive cycle. They're long-lived animals. They can live 20, 25 years in the wild, which is, you know, it's a lot longer than other game animals. But and still, uh, even though if they live, have 20 years of productivity, and they're only producing two cubs every other year, that's really not a lot of offspring. You know, we've documented typically in Arkansas, a female will become mature and start having cubs somewhere between three and five years of age. Uh, they can live 25 years in the wild, 
We've documented females having cubs up into their early 20s. Uh, typically, on bears, usually their first and their last reproductive cycle is usually one. So if we have a female that's 21, 22, 23 years of age, even though she's thrown triplets almost every productive year of her life, when she shows up and she has one, that's typically her last reproductive year. And with bears, uh, it's usually, they can usually produce right up until almost the end of their lifespan. You know, they may live another year or so after that, but usually not much longer. When you consider in most game populations or most wild animal populations, there's a higher occurrence rate of males being born because males have a naturally higher mortality rate in any population. They're the ones that disperse, they're the ones that fight and everything else. So if you consider she has 16 cubs her whole life and less than half of those is likely to be female cubs, you know, that's six, maybe seven females she's gonna have her entire life. And so that's why bears have really low reproductive rates. And that's why we monitor them every year. Now, the second part of our monitoring effort or the surveys that we do this time of year, every year, is we're also monitoring survivability of those cubs. And because cubs, uh, the life cycle of a bear actually starts in May, June, and July and August, that's when bears are bred. Uh, they're bred, the egg is fertilized, and that embryo kind of floats around in the uterus. It doesn't attach. She it develops, but it doesn't attach to the uterine wall. And so through the course of the late summer and early fall, that blastocyst is just kind of developing and floating around. And then at some point in the fall, when about the time that she goes into a den cycle, that blastocyst will attach to the uterine wall and then she'll complete her gestation period and give birth to the cubs roughly 69 days later after it attaches. Now, what's remarkable about bears is once they start that den cycle pregnant with cubs, she won't eat, she won't drink, she won't urinate, she won't defecate for about four to five months. And so she completes the gestation period, she gives birth, and she provides milk for those cubs until roughly early to mid-April when she emerges from that den. She's doing all of this strictly off of her fat reserves. And so, as you can imagine, it takes a huge toll on her to be able to carry a pregnancy through, give birth, and wean cubs. And, but when she emerges from the den that first year in late April, the cubs stay with mom all summer and fall, learning how to be bears. And then they go into a den cycle again with the mother when they're a year old, we call them yearlings. And then that den cycle with yearlings, because she's not nursing, they're well weaned long before that. It's just kind of, uh, you know, it's uh, just a learning experience. She's still teaching them how to be bears. When they emerge from that second den cycle, when they're over a year old, she will allow them to hang around for maybe a month or two, but when the breeding season starts again in May and June, she'll drive her offspring away. Her male offspring, she'll drive away. Her female offspring, she will actually allow to reside within her home range. 
uh, and that is her insurance policy. She knows that she has everything a bear needs to survive in her home range. So that is her insurance policy to ensure that her female offspring will survive. And so we know, we know what her reproductive rate is in a given year. And if we go in the next year, she has three cubs this year, three girls. Then we go in next year and we, we get video or we get a visual on how many yearlings she has with her. Then we're able to determine survival rates of those cubs to a yearling and beyond. So, and survival rate of the female offspring is virtually 100%. Once they come out of that second den cycle, I mean, it's a real good chance they're gonna survive. Uh, the male offspring, you know, they get cast to the wind. It's like kicking a little 13-year-old teenage boy out on the streets. You know, life is hard for a cub or for a yearling bear. Those are the ones that show up in town. Those are the ones that take a wrong left turn at Albuquerque and just get where they're not supposed to be. And, uh, you know, those, those sub-adult male bears, I mean, that's, they're 98% of the nuisance bears that we see show up in town or something like that. They're always sub-adult male bears because they basically, they're nomads for the first four years or so of their life until they get big enough to establish a home range or a territory and defend that and compete for breeding rights. I mean, they're just not in the game. If you didn't already respect the job of a mama black bear, hopefully now you do. An impregnated sow will enter the den at some point in the fall, and after denning up, she will not eat, she will not drink, she will not urinate or defecate for four to five months while completing gestation, giving birth, and providing milk for the cubs until April when she emerges from the den. Oh, and then she's got to have enough energy to climb out of that den and teach her cubs how to be bears. What an incredible preservation of fat reserves and a remarkable feat that is common amongst these amazing animals. Now, let's hear about the cubs. These cubs uh, were born roughly the third to fourth week of January. Uh, they're born about the size of a Coke can, about five ounces or six ounces. Uh, they have some really good rich milk to feed on and they can gain about a pound a week. It's actually kind of a logarithmic growth curve. You know, they don't gain a pound when they're first born, but by the time they're three to four weeks, they can gain more than a pound a week. So when we're doing cub work, we try to, we try to set doing cub work when we are pretty sure those cubs are going to be of handleable age. Uh, you know, we, we don't want to be handling and messing around with one pound cubs. Uh, it's just not necessary. So we want them to be somewhere between, preferably between three and about seven pounds. Uh, you can handle them when they're eight, nine pounds. I've handled nine pound cubs before, but believe me, when they get seven pounds and above, they start acting like little bears. Uh, I mean, they have claws that are like cat claws. They want to bite you. They'll huff at you. You know, I mean, that's just what they're born to do. And so, you know, they'll fuss and squawk and they'll smack their gums at you. <laughs> and they'll huff and they'll try to bite your fingers and everything. So, you know, there's, there's kind of a fine line there. 
And really by the time they're seven or eight pounds, they're practically ready to come out of the den with mom. I mean, a, a eight pound cub can climb up and down that tree like a squirrel. So we have a short window of monitoring for reproductive rates. We can do our recruitment monitoring on the sows with yearlings a little bit earlier and all that. Pretty neat stuff. Next time you're sipping from a Coke can, remember that's about the size of a bear when they're first born. Maybe that's why polar bears are always holding a Coca-Cola can. Uh, another objective of what we're doing today, as I spoke of earlier, is the drug trials that we're doing. We have a drug cocktail that we use on bears and we've been using it for a few years and it works great. Uh, there is another variation of that drug uh, that has some different components, that has some different properties. Uh, but one of the key properties is it's not regulated now by the FDA, whereas the drug that we're using now is regulated by FDA or a component of it is regulated by FDA. So uh, that's what Clay and Carrie are here to help us do. We're going to run NowMed trials. We're going to run NowMed on this particular bear. And... Uh, it's it's a great opportunity for us i mean clay and his group and the pharmacy that he's working with that developed this drug we're actually trying to develop a protocol for bears uh, there's a lot of critters out there that now made is used for but uh, no one has used it on bears and specifically because during den cycle with bears bears are under a heavily reduced rate of metabolism respiration heart rates and everything else while they're in the den cycle and so if you throw in a drug combination that causes respiratory rates to suppress even further uh you know you have an animal that's normally breathing maybe four respirations a minute and then you reduce that further because they're in a den cycle it's just uh you know it's just we want to yeah it's a little scary uh you know and this drug it has true uh, anesthesia qualities. It's just like us being on an OR table. You have an anesthesiologist there monitoring all your, your, your pulse rate, your blood oxygen levels, your respiration rates, and you have an anesthesiologist monitoring all those parameters while you're under anesthesia. And that's what Clay and Carrie and AJ and Jen are gonna be doing with this bear. Uh, while all this procedure takes place. There was an order of operations that had to happen before our group approached the den so we didn't excite the bear or make her nervous. Makes sense. I asked Myron later in the day how she handled the dart. He said it was textbook. She laid there and she saw me walk up. She was calm as could be. He quietly darted her with the sedative and she fell right to sleep with nothing more than a flinch. How things are going to progress today is... Uh, She's not far, she's about three tenths over. When we get down to the edge of the drain, uh, there's a little cliff area that we're gonna have to kind of sneak through uh, and go down there. She's not far off of that. It's a little bit of steep, but what we will probably do is stage everyone up before we drop down in there. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that bears really aren't true hibernators, they're estivators. Uh, even though they may be in a kind of a deep sleep and everything because it's cold, they can arouse instantly. 
and they do arouse. And they're always awake when we go in there. They're always fully aware of what's going on. And so we want to keep her as absolutely calm as we can. We're going to sneak in there nice and quiet with the dart equipment. We'll have it ready. And hopefully it'll be a nice, easy dart when she's in there and we'll dart her. And once we get her asleep, once we get her positioned uh, and everything, then we'll bring the group down. We'll take the cub out. There'll be uh, the procedure will probably be about an hour or so, which will be plenty of time for everyone to take pictures with the cubs. And once everyone has finished taking pictures and we're finished monitoring the female, we'll take some age and growth measurements with the cubs. And then uh, when everything is said and done, we'll put them back with mom. This drug that we're using actually has a reversal. So we don't have to sit there and wait an hour or so for her to become responsive and burn it off. We can apply a reversal and usually within a, just a few minutes, you know, she's back fully awake and able to tend to the cub and care for the cub. So, <clears throat> but at the time that we get ready with the measurements on the cub and put the cub back, we'll probably have everyone start filtering back and everything. And that way, by the time we inject her and everything, everyone's out of earshot and uh, she can come out of the drug nice and calm, just like she went under the drug. So uh, we're also gonna weigh, we're gonna weigh her uh, as part of, part of the NALMED trials that we're running. You know, it's really nice to have specific weights on a specific dose rate. Uh, so there's going to be some other things that we, we, I won't say we don't typically do, but there's going to be some other things uh, that we're going to do with this bear. We're going to trach this bear, I believe we are, aren't we? Uh, so she's going to have a trach tube running down her throat to administer oxygen and to monitor a carbon dioxide exchange between her lungs and everything. So that, that's all kind of part of the NALMED trials and the precautions that we try to take when they're under anesthesia in a den cycle. Uh, so it's, it's a different world. It's, it's not like darting a bear in the summer when they're all hyped up and you don't have to worry about, you know, respiratory rates or anything else like that. Here's one of the big things of the day. When we bring the cubs out, uh, we have blankets, we have cub blankets, okay? So we want to keep the cubs wrapped up good and warm and tight. You can put their head out and stuff like that, but it's kind of cold today as we're all sitting here in coats, right? Well, uh, cub bear babies are just like human babies. At this age, they don't thermoregulate well. And so we don't want them to be exposed and have issues that come up from having exposure hypothermia uh, or hypothermia or whatever it is, uh, but we, we don't want them to suffer any issues as a result of our intrusion. Any questions? No? How many bears have you done this traveling? Like <laughs> <laughs> She's wondering if it's gonna work. <laughs> it, 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 it will work, it will work beautifully. Um, this combination is approved by the FDA from multiple other species. Yeah. It's been used, we used it this uh, past spring and summer mm -hmm. in awake bears. This will be the first time in the history of the universe that it's been used in dead bears. Okay. So my heart rate is up a little. Okay. <laughs> so, Ryan, you had mentioned that uh, a lot of the den checks this year, uh, the females that should have had cubs, so a lot of them have not had cubs. Does that, do you anticipate? Yeah, and I, I'm glad you brought that up because this, 
this is the why of what we're doing today. Uh, sometimes I get ahead of myself, but you know, the, the what we're doing today I explained, but this is the why we're doing this monitoring effort. This year was a perfect example. Normally, normally bears have really high reproductive rates, like 80 or 90 percent of the bears that should have at least two are going to have at least two. Most adult female bears on the landscape are going to be bred in a given year. And that's just a healthy population and a healthy reproductive rate. It's almost 100%. If you're an adult female, you're going to be bred and you're going to have at least two cubs on average. But this particular year, um, when we started doing our pre-den work, going around in January and February, looking at all these dens, all those 60 females we have across the state, we'll do a pre-den visit on each den. And that pre-den visit is number one to determine uh, can we find the bear, what the access is like to the bear. When we get to the bear, is she in a cub or a yearling cycle? Because if something happens to the cubs early enough, they can breed again and have cubs in back-to-back -back years. Uh, the pre-den is also determined at trying to figure out how many yearlings she has from the previous cub year. And so the pre-den assessment is, you know, there's a lot of information on that. But what we started seeing this year in the pre-den work was all these females across the Ozarks and Washita's that we had that were supposed to have cubs don't have anything. And they're just completely barren this year. And it really didn't make a whole lot of sense because these females were really, were really fat. They're really well conditioned. And you think, what in the world? Why in the world don't they have cubs? Well, if you think further back into the start of the breeding season in late winter or late spring, early summer, we had a pretty good drought uh, all across, well, at least the mountain portion of Arkansas. And... <coughs> Apparently that drought, it either didn't make enough soft mass or the mass that was still made probably had extremely low nutritional value. And so when that female may have been bred in June, uh, either she was bred, became pregnant, and probably within a month or so of that, her body told her, look, right. you can't carry this she out. She didn't have enough reserves to nope. go through that period you're talking nope. about. Too much and stress. So yep. and, well, they'll just abort. They'll spontaneous yeah. abort, reabsorb it and everything, and everything goes on. And then you rock along in September, and we had a really good mass drop in September. And so the, all these females, instead of pouring energy into producing cubs and going through a pregnancy and producing milk and all that, they just poured it back into themselves. And so they're in super great shape, but uh, about half of the females that we had across the Ozarks and Washita's that should be in a cub cycle are in nothing. Mm -hmm. And so, which, yeah, reproductive rates dropped from 80 or 90% down to about 40%. So what I was wondering is, is do you think that would be enough that Salmon fish will, in future years, based on this cycle, will have to adjust the quota numbers. Not yet, but if we see, because it's a two-year cycle, that's affected. Uh, so now, if it rocks along next year, and we see a massive drought, or we see a berry failure in the summer, a late frost this year that killed the berry crop this summer, you know, those things, that they can compound that effect. 
so if we saw significantly dropped reproductive rates and recruitment or survival rates for two to three years, absolutely. That's why we're doing this, because if we saw that in a bear population, an animal that has low reproductive rates, then we're gonna have to mitigate for that somewhere in the harvest strategies, you know? Uh, so, you know, the perfect storm would set up having two or three years of drought or berry crop in the summer, or even a mass failure in the fall that causes drops in reproductive rate. And then we have two or three years of record harvest on top of that. That's right. a perfect storm. And so that can really impact the bear population. And with bears, you know, it's something that that's not gonna bounce back in a few years. It may take it 15 years, you know, to bounce back. And so that's the why of what we're doing today, monitoring these reproductive rates across bear range every year. And, uh, you know, that's just, that's just good conservation. If you take nothing else away from this episode, Remember that the balance of wildlife populations in an ecosystem can be thrown out of whack by just a few compounding events that happen in close succession. That can affect the future for years and years to come. What if you combine that with a couple of record harvest years from an increased interest in bear hunting? That could potentially set back the bear population for decades. I think that right there demonstrates the importance of this work really, really well. You know, uh, I think most people know by now uh, the reintroduction that Arkansas had in the late 50s and through the 60s. Uh, they brought back 254 bears from Minnesota, Manitoba, Canada, and reintroduced them into the Ozarks and Marshall Mountain Range because by by the 50s, it was thought that most of the bears had been extirpated from most of the state. Now, there may have been one or two running around up in the mountains, but there weren't many. Okay, so after that reintroduction in the 58 to 68, roughly 20 years later, the bear population was doing so good, we opened the bear season in Arkansas in 1980. All right, you fast forward 20 more years, two decades later, that's when we imposed baiting on private lands to increase bear harvest in the state. Because prior to 2001, most bear hunting was done, people out deer hunting, the bear season's open, they shoot a bear. So bear hunting was really done incidental to deer hunting. And uh, you know, populations kept growing, populations are doing great. And then this past year, uh, we actually opened a bear season in the Gulf Coastal Plain part of the state which is, uh, you know, that's a really significant conservation achievement, a huge conservation achievement in the fact that in 60 years, Game and Fish has basically brought a bear population back to Arkansas for about four-fifths of the state in 60 years. So, and to this day, this reintroduction effort that we, that Arkansas Game and Fish did is still the most successful reintroduction of a large carnivore in the history of a conservation agency. So nobody else has ever reintroduced a large carnivore as successful as we have done. So we're proud of that and it is a showcase. It's a showcase uh, management program. It's a showcase species. It's a showcase conservation story. And uh, like I said, I can't better think of a better way to showcase it than Hold a five pound baby bear cub. <laughs> Getting to hold a baby bear cub, one of the jewels of wildlife conservation, 
was a moment I'll remember for a long time to come. And if anyone ever asks you why conservation is important, you tell them this story right here. Or heck, send them to me and I'll tell them for you. The most successful reintroduction of a large game animal in the history of conservation, and it happened right here. If you're anything like me, you're just grateful we get to call it home. This podcast is hosted by Kyle V and Kyle Plunkett and produced by Daniel Matthews. For guest recommendations, episode ideas, and general questions, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram or email us at theozarkpodcast at gmail.com. Finally, we love making this show and being able to offer this podcast to y'all for free. But if you're listening and you want to support the Ozark Podcast to allow us to travel even further and meet more interesting people, head over to our Patreon and sign up to join our most loyal listeners. Let me tell you, these folks are 100% certified Ozarkins. And of course, we can't forget to thank our good buddy, J.D. Clayton, for providing the amazing music for today's episode. Check out his website to see where he's touring next at jdclaytonofficial.com. Now, sit back and enjoy his song, American Millionaire. Well, I'm on the road.
it's all up in the air But you know I'll be an American millionaire 